we deal with trauma? How does the, and I'm coming back to that, how does the constitution, does it? Does it help us do that? How do we heal the trauma? Oyunga. Okay, thanks. There's, there's, a lot to, there's a lot to unpack there. I think I'll start from, and, and given that I came from that space, you know, the, uh, the emotionally vulnerable man. And it's funny because um, we, we're socialized to, to show strength, you know, so like you must not show any pain, don't cry, don't shed a tear. But then as you, as you get deeper in this work, you start realizing the real strength is actually in being emotionally vulnerable. You know, that's if, if a Donald Trump could actually say, listen, you know, I was abused as a child, I did not get attention. Uh, I need to deal with this. That's where his true strength lies, you know, and, and this acting up that he did over four years in office is literally basically uh, a manifestation of his weakness. Of his inability to deal with his with his, with his past traumas. So, in, in my understanding of trauma, and I sort of settled on trauma in, in, in many ways. And Angala said something about the, um, the Nazi experience, and and when trauma is not dealt with, and, you, and we see it with Israel, you know, a nation that was deeply traumatized, doing the exact same thing to a different to, to a different community. Now, what, and if you look at Israel as a state and its treatment of the Palestine people, and it's a contradiction that sometimes strikes us as kind of odd, but. It, it's 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 a pattern of what happens when trauma is not dealt with, when trauma is not addressed deeply, and and I've and I've learned to sort of see trauma in two ways, and I think this sort of applies to the Kenyan case. There's what we we look at as very overt overt traumas, you know. So like for example, what you talk about with the, with the Gala with the Wagala massacre, when you look about the British Gulag, you know, uh, the various things that happened that were just overt, you know, like straight out violence that was imposed upon communities, you know things in which we can stand today and share these are our scars and that is typically what we how we see trauma and 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 so which is why then it becomes very difficult for those who have not actually experienced that level of trauma to associate with it they find it very hard to sort of create some sense of solidarity but there's other trauma and i think which is a little bit more prevalent within our society which uh the psychologist and, and i got this time from a guy called gabo mate a canadian psychologist who then called it developmental trauma, of where, as you grow up, and he, and he gave this very good example of, of, of as a child, if, you, if you're a four-year-old and, and you go out in the playground and some a bunch of bullies bully you, you know, and, and, and hit you up, and you rush home to your mother um, in this state of, of distress, and the first thing your mother says is, no, you go out there and be a man or be strong or stand up to those bullies, right? So in that, in that, in that immediate moment, what you experience is a loss of vulnerability. What you needed at the time was just to be had, to be told nothing, just to be allowed to be, to be allowed to be in that state of distress, that state of pain. Yeah? But if, if immediately you're rejected and you're told go off and be something, that becomes a coping mechanism. So that person mm -hmm. later in life, even in the deepest of distress, which is why we find in Kenya, you find somebody just collapsed at work or somebody developed some various, some cancers or, or the manifestation now of we see mental illnesses, right? And these people, might not have, they might not have gone through actual abuse, you know, they might not have been actually beaten by police, you know, but they went through a bunch of developmental traumas that are manifesting much later in life. So, so I think we, we, we then, so when we look at the question of trauma, we tend to then fixate on what is becomes an overt trauma. And because of the nature of the trauma, it's so big, it's so ugly, it's, it's so hard to grapple with. The easiest way to do about is what Kenyans do quite well in, in, in our national psychology, where we say accept and move on. 
because just we just simply don't have the tools to deal with it, and especially as uh, in mass, right? So, so I think, I, and, and, I, and I wish I had an, an easy answer, an easy answer to this, but I think if if we thought of, if we come to a fundamental understanding that we're dealing with these two types of traumas, right? And 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 one must not supersede the other. It's not that we should say, okay, the focus should only be on like the big traumas in the sort of way in which sort of we mirror our experiences to say the black American slavery legacy. Yeah. And we say, okay, we have to find our versions of that level of trauma in order to do with what we call trauma in our alternate nation. But you also accept that a lot of what we are experiencing in our country is just omissions. That you lived in life for so long, you lived to a certain period, the government was supposed to to, to sort of support you in such a way as a citizen, but it did not. And even though the government did directly abuse you, there's certain omissions that have caused such distress in your life, right? And until we get to a point of where we completely, deeply, and fundamentally understand our traumas, and what that first comment said about, it takes us down to a level of almost what Wendy was also talking about, our sense of humanity. Because if we can go back to this, almost the individual, almost the, what's the molecule, the, the smallest part of, if you don't understand ourselves as an individual or how you've been broken, we can't go beyond this point. And, and it's, it's, the reason why it's not sexy is because it's such slow work. You know, it's, it's not something you can't, the outcome is not, is not guaranteed. It's not, I mean, a, a constitution, the beauty sometimes of a document is that, you know, you put a constitution, you can have some sort of guarantees. You can put a certain number of days, you can put a number of years. In the next hundred days, this is what we expect. But when you start to do this slow healing work, is that sometimes the outcome is not guaranteed. As any counselor will tell you, you know, the most you can guarantee is just basically time. You, know, you have no idea that the, the patient or the person you're speaking to will have a favorable outcome. But if you, if you show up over and over and over again, and that is the one lesson of parenting, show up over and over and over again, the outcome tends to be favorable. But the actual methodology of the slow work is what we are fundamentally afraid of. So I would think from, if I was to even dare suggest a solution, is, is how we approach stories. And the stories that we tell of ourselves, because I think the power is really is in the stories. And if we can start to develop a proper treasure trove of, of stories about ourselves, and not just, and I'm not talking about just feel good stories, I'm not talking about the motivational stories, stories in the totality, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, if all this could be addressed so that we have the ability, you give people the means to actually see their state of being, then there's the possibility of healing. And, and at least this would be my contribution as, as an artist, that we need to go back into curating all the stories, because the stories do exist. You know, I mean, what I love about Kenya, for example, music scene, is that the, the beauty of the stories there is, is incredible. A, 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 guy is, uh, a guy like Kitusua, which, who's, who's, uh, who, who I think is one of, the, one of Kenya's most underrated poets. You listen to his music, it's, just, it's all there. But the thing is that we're not curating it enough in order for it to be shared. And if we do a little bit more of that, I think there's a possibility of us going beyond this stage of, of, of getting of this place where we are stuck, where we think a constitution in its fundamental stuff is the key. Yeah. 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 Thank I, you. Yes. I, and, and I think also um, it's 
we are not creating these stories also because I think there's a general disrespect of artists and intellectuals in Kenya. Um, um, and they're not, they're never seen as people who can make a proper contribution in a country where the most important contribution or that or the contributions that are being valued are the ones that lead to sort of a material outcome, right? Um, and, but you know, and, and, and actually this relates to the question of the question of, of nation making. Na nations, if you have to follow Bennett Anderson's uh, theories, that nations are imagined and they are made by intellectuals, thinkers, writers, artists and creators and poets. And, and if those voices or those constituencies are marginalized, then, then you, have, you have this sort of a problem of always rushing back to the constitution, thinking that the constitution is going to create and imagine the nation. But yet those people who actually do that work historically have been, have been marginalized from, from, from important spaces um, uh, in this case. Thank you, Gala. I'm going to pick a couple of comments that are coming to us and then go back to the questions. Um, because I, I, it's such a wonderful chat that's, that's, that's going on. I can see Lillian Moura um, picks up on the idea of culture being the foundation of the nation and speaks to the family, the importance of the family as the fundamental unit of society, according to our constitution. And then she reflects that what is lacking in Kenya is the glue to hold all the communities in Kenya, to really say we are a Kenya nation. Um, so thank you, Lillian, for that comment. Um, Nathan Gumi has, has reflected at length on, on, on what a state is, what a country is, the idea of, and, and, he, and he, he really wants us to think about the idea of a state having many nations within it. And, and I think the point has been made that there is no one model of a nation and even the question of whether we want to have a nation. And at the end of it, he says, the real question is that you know, if we think of Kenya as a sovereign state that has multiple nations, do these nations share a common objective and hopes? Because if we share a common objective and hope, even if we decide and agree on being several nations that are all governed or are all under one state or are all served by the same state, then we can move forward. And maybe that would be then the role of the constitution. Um, from YouTube, I'm going to just pick a couple of our comments. The Green String, String Network that works a lot on trauma um, comments that the intergenerational trauma that you spoke about, Oyunga, continues to haunt us and um, says that without social and cultural healing, political reconciliation, which BBI is about, will never work. That we must start with that um, social and cultural healing. Andrew Miner um, thinks, uh, says that one common thread that's coming through for him um, through this conversation is an apparent deliberate deprivation of agency of the ordinary person. And that we really need to talk a whole lot more about that. Evelyn Mungau is agreeing with um, Wandia in particular and says that we need to look at others as humans first and last. Nationhood is fine, but we must ask how our nation or how humanity, how the question of humanity is the basis of these conversations um, on nation. And thank you for everybody who is um, saying that, you know, this is a great conversation. I absolutely agree with you. Now, I want us to keep that thought um, about let's keep the ordinary person at the center of the conversation today, partly because, and I'll put the link on the chat, and at the end, I'll give um, everybody the links to this. Last time, we really, really focused on the idea of the political actors, on, on what 
the political actors are bringing onto the table, what they are they're saying around this, and how does BBI, um, the resources that have been spent on BBI, if we just let them all go, right? I mean, we've spent so much, we've invested so much, surely let's harvest something out of that. So, but I do want to just um, put the two questions that have, have dealt with that onto the table and ask our panelists to comment really briefly on this, because I do want us to go back to that idea of how does this, um, this, this, this journey of constitution, this journey of a nation, this journey of a soul, how does that really impact on our everyday lives of the human beings that we are? But let me just quickly bring onto the table James Joe's question, um, reflecting on what was said yesterday by um, um, a, a politician that um, even if the ruling goes against the BBI initiative, um, reggae will still continue despite that, right? And, and, and he asks, if it does continue, regardless of what is put, you know, whether the ruling says yes or the ruling says no, um, how does that influence Kenya's future, right? So much, and this is the question on resources. What, what, what is our journey towards constitutionalism, regardless of, of, of what the judgment is tomorrow? So that's one question. And then the other question is on the place of accountability by the political actors. And what I really like about this question is, is, is referring to what Binyavanga Wainaina has talked about in terms of the upright revolution. What would that look like in Kenya? And what are the building blocks, including conversations such as this? So post Friday 20th, uh, 2021, and what the Court of Appeal will say, we have a Kenya. And that Kenya has a constitution, either way, to go and to deal with. How do we move forward? For me, that's what those two questions are asking. Any of you? Okay, let me start as the cynical one. Um, hmm. I think what BBI was about was not really about the constitution. It was about the story. Because I remember asking, and, and this I want to give a shout out to KOT members because they answered it for me. Because before BBI, uh, the president was violating the constitution in many cases because he could. And then what he would do is present as a done deal, basically saying it's already done, mtadu. And, and that has been the way he has been operating. He presents us with a done deal, and then people feel, okay, it's too late. We'll, we just have to cope with what has been done. So what BB, if, if the president wanted to change whatever, I think he could have done it and would have just told us, you know, I, 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 bad words came to my mind. But anyway, he would have just told us, you know, Go away. <laughs> uh, but why did he have to change the constitution? Because he needed to break the story that Kenyans have been using. And that is why we are not in a good place where the basic story we have is the constitution. We needed a cultural story, a story of history, a story of our ancestors and saying we got here because people shed their blood for us to be here. 
People sacrificed so much for us to have this constitution. We've seen the photos. We know how many people went to dungeons. Others had to leave this country. But those voices were not strong enough for us to say, no, we are not accepting the change of constitution because of what others have done for us before. So we waited until the court case. And that is why politicians are hammering the constitution, because what they want is control of the story. If they break the constitution, what shall we use? And this is where Kenyans, regardless of the ruling, we have to create a story for ourselves, a story of pride in who we are, where we've come from, our scars and our victories, that is too strong that even if we are told, oh, it's clause this, it's chapter this, it's whatever that the politicians tell us, it's not enough to break our resolve and say, you're not going to destroy this constitution. We are the people of Kenya. We are the children of, you know, everyone from Talai clan to Mekatilili to Dedankimathi to, you know, Lucas Piketch from Pokot. All those people, Elijah Masinde, we are their children. And as their children, we are not going to accept this. We just don't have that compelling of a story to refuse this. So whatever the ruling is, I think Kenyans need to work on the story. And this is where artists can help us. And I think that is why they are being suppressed. Because the political class knows that if we have a strong cultural story, there's nothing they can do through the constitution. So the, the reason why they went for the constitution was not solely, was not simply to change the laws and the clauses and to make things easier. It was to control the story. Kenyans have been challenging this government through the constitution. That's why the political class wants to break it so that they leave us with nothing on which to fall back on. But also I know Kenyans. Kenyans don't give up. We don't. We've been here before, we're going to do it again. Even if the politicians try to get what they want, Kenyans are tough. If we can call Washington and tell IMF to stop giving us loans, Kenya, we'll do this. We are morning politicians. We are tough. One so, day what I'm hearing you say is that regardless of what happens tomorrow, regardless of what the ruling is, Kenyans cannot... Um, even if the ruling says, okay, we're upholding and so, you know, BBI is quashed or if the ruling says, actually, they've made some good points and, you know, I know there are many variations in between, let this go ahead. Kenyans have to remember that Article 3 remains there, right? For now, Article 3 is there. You must defend your constitution and, and, and understanding that the constitution has got rights, it's got responsibilities, it's got, you know, we have, you know, it's got obligations in terms of holding political actors and all public servants to accountability. It's got, you know, people who are worrying about resources. We, we have got kunakazi, as you say, kazi kwetu, right? At the end of the day, the guardians of the constitution and what we have imagined for ourselves as a nation has to remain Kenyans. That's what I'm hearing you say. Oyunga Ngala, what are your thoughts? I'll, I'll try and make it brief. I think, I think one day has um, summed it up quite well. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to sort of, because one of the things about, I guess, um, people who then who, who speak the language of resistance, 
uh, and, and sort of remind remind Kenya that no, 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 no. This, there's been a long series of resistance huh? and, and, it, and it's, it's happened in different forms. Is I think, if I think what we're dealing with, especially for, and this is why the importance, the story is so fundamental, because if, if there are no stories of resistance over, over this long time, people just believe that basically they're, they're helpless. And, and, and you see one of the wonderful example of one of the responses that you see a lot in our political space is, if for example, you go on Kenyan Twitter, you're amazed by the amount of trivia that sort of, you know, almost gossip as news that, that sort of circulates. Um, and, and just how easily we are provoked to just humor you could be dealing with the most serious of issues and just, it triggers it. And, and, it's, and it's easy to just sort of judge that as, oh, you know, you know companies are just shallow, you know? But ultimately what, at, at the depth of it is basically just a coping mechanism, you know? Because what happens in, instead of that level of trauma, the trauma when you have this level of political suppression, when you have a class that's just telling you there's no way you're going, which I do. And, and so what you're dealing with that, your, your first response is usually flight, you know? And which is, which is the typical, um, African migrants' reality is just go to a different country that respects you as a citizen. You know, um, the other option is basically to fight. You know, and um, and if there's only three of you fighting in team courage, after a while you start to look like a bit of a of a crazy. Uh, but the most common response that people then turn to is just basically dis disassociation. You just turn your back on this whole process and just pretend that doesn't. You tune out of it. So. The, the fundamental issue of story is so important because if we're not even telling stories, of, even, even the stories of this recent victories that we're having, the stories of just resistance within basically just within this decade, the very fact that a process like the BBI could actually be curtailed by just public will and people just saying no, 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 at every level and people just sort of, people always showing up. This different forms of resistance. And so we don't get fixated on resistance as only meaning a street protest or resistance as only meaning some version of an armed struggle, right? The people have to understand that in a situation like this, the only thing that remains is you've got to resist. And, and especially if you look at it from within a global context of, of, of what global capitalism is doing to humanity all around the block, is that people just have to stand up. And, and it's scary at, in the beginning because you always come from the idea that me in my little small pocket, what can I do? Yeah, because you look around and it's just, it's, it's suicidal. Uh, but if history tells us anything, which is the, the importance of story, it's always been those one, two, three, four brave men and women who bring us to where we are. And so I think that's the spirit that must remain. It's like fundamentally what we have to do is get into basically a resistance mode in any way in which we can sort of articulate this resistance, you know, but we have to resist, you know in order to basically pr protect our basic humanity, which then gives our constitution life. Indeed, Babwe Yindo also says, um, yes, resistance is our heritage. Resistance is our healing. And he, he, he reminds you, Andia, you once wrote that and he's agreeing with you. Gala. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, let's, let's not forget that um, in large measure, the, the Kenya 2010 constitution is, um, is a product of, of, of almost two decades of resistance. Mm -hmm. um, and I've, I've said this elsewhere, that this constitution was forced upon this political elite. So it is, it is very obvious and clear that, that it, it, it has now proved to become a nuisance um, um, because it is really 
reshaping the way in which the executive branch, in particular the presidency, has operated in Kenya since the 1960s. Um, so for me, there's a I've, I've argued this also that there's a, so there there's a huge shift in which how power operates in Kenya has happened through this new constitution that that is very important to 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 pay particular attention to. Um, um, but also, you know, to, thinking about after tomorrow, um, historically, what we have seen is that the way in which the political elite in Kenya have ha, has played around with the constitution is not only to suppress popular voices, but also is to find rules for the game, for themselves, right? So that increasingly, since the 1990s, because the political elite has been fragmenting also, uh, at the center is that they have always struggled to find rules in which they can all agree with and finding that to be very difficult. So I'm talking about, for example, 1997 IPPG deal, um, 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 you know, at 2007, there was some form of version of, of this kind of, of this kind of agreements that didn't actually take place and, and this new constitution. So the, the elite is always finding ways uh, through legal process to the constitution to anchor rules that, uh, rules of the game, but then finding it very difficult for them to trust each other. And this is how I think this new constitution came to be, you know, I've, I've argued this elsewhere. So this is going to continue to be the case. There's always going to be attempts to, to change the constitution to fit elite interests. Um, um, but that is not always the end of the story, as Wandia says. We've been there, we've, we've been here before. Um, to close off, I think I would like to also uh, just sort of uh, emphasize the role of, of thinkers and artists in this struggle. And, and, I, and I, I don't know, I mean, for me, I think this is one of the few discussions where where I have, I've really had the role of artists and 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 you know and writers and thinkers being centered in 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 sort of political affairs of of, of the country, and I think that um, you know Kitushua, you know, I'm a big fan of him as well. Um, the the thing that happens is that Kenyan thinkers and writers, even people making memes and jokes on social media, um, I find are very good at. Uh, making commentary on the day-to-day, -day. Um, um, uh, mostly on the social, they give meaning and story to, 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 to the sort of day-to-day -day social struggles. Um, the curation, I think, now really, begins, really needs to happen, um, um, you know, with organizations such as the Elephant and others, is how do we then make those debates, those conversations happening online, in music, in writing, um, um, important for the future political direction of this country. Mm. Yeah, how, how, how do we then curate um, uh, an experience where these, 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 these cultural producers begin to think also um, uh, very deeply about serious political questions that this country is facing. So that it's not just a fleeting experience um, where if, if, a, if, if a scandal happens, then there's commentary. How, 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 is, how can this be turned into a sustained debate, conversation, uh, coming from all quarters, you know, from young people, um, from poets, from, from, from musicians, from, from writers? How do we make them uh, pay attention to political questions of the country uh, consistently? I think for me, that, that would be my part in short. Whoa, okay, that's a really great um, thing. We're thinking about the power of, of imagination, the need for healing, the work of, of, of creating the thinking and the action 
centering it in ourselves. Um, this work of tending to the soul of the nation, of keeping ourselves, not just you know, resisting for the sake of resisting, but resisting so that we can translate what is in our minds, what we have imagined, what we are, what we are, these beautiful things we are thinking up into the reality of our lived experience. I really wish we could continue with this conversation. I completely um, agree with Anastasia Wakonyo, who has said, what a great conversation. This is what we need at the grassroots level, but we really have run out of time. But let me remind you that you can check out the archive of material. There is so much that is on the elephant, on the Building Bridges Initiative. I'm going to come to each of you for a quick, quick, quick last word, one sentence, two sentences in a minute. But in the meantime, let me just share with everybody that the elephant has got this amazing archive. There's stuff to listen to, stuff to watch, stuff to read, including the high court judgment itself. I can assure you that the minute the court of appeal judgment has been made public in a form that we can share, we will put it up on that website as well. We have several analyses and of course, all the conversations in this series, including the article by Dr. Kankindi, BBI is dead with the Kenyan state that I quoted from earlier. Um, you can find all of this on the website. Um, you can find the conversations as well on the YouTube account. Um, just um, for those of you, I've seen some people asking, the first conversation was on the legal judgment. Um, the second conversation, as we said, was on the question of inclusivity from the point of view of the youth. And the third conversation really focused on the political actors. So please um, listen to this again, share this with anybody whom you can. This will also be um, in the same space. And then also keep joining us as we continue to look at not just the question of the BBI, um, um, initiative and the judgment and the ruling, but everything else, all matters Kenyan and African and the world that we have on our website. I really, really want to thank the panel. So let me come back to you for your last words. Wendy and Joya, thank you so, so much for everything that you have shared. And I will take that idea of resistance with me everywhere we go. Wendy, what is your final word? I think I just want to assure Kenyans that uh, even with all these struggles, we are a great people. We have made our mark on the world for resisting when nobody thought that Africans could resist. We have always resisted. And no matter what the ruling is, you know, freedom comes from perpetual resistance. So we, we have to keep resisting. We also must be aware, I think, of the intellectual tools that are used to limit our imagination, be they from religion, from uh, the education system, or the schooling system, sorry, or from the media. And the vigilance must go there as well. I know words seem not to matter much, but they actually do. And so we must also uh, be vigilant in terms of the stories that we are being told. And let's keep telling our stories, let's keep working, because we Kenyans work very hard, and let our work be one of the sources of our stories. Okay, thank you. Dr. Wandi Anjoya is an educationist and public intellectual. Someone corrected me um, once when I said that, and she said, she's not just a public intellectual, she's the conscience of this nation. And sometimes what she says hurts, but we appreciate it. Thank you, Wandia. Um, Ngala Chome, Ngala, what you have said, and I really want to thank you for centering the space of the intellectual and, and reminding us 
that you know these are not disconnected that this is important and we must keep making those connections and we must keep building on that work so that we can translate it into action gala what would your last word be yeah i think um just on on, on that uh, very very breath um i I come from um, an academic background as a as a historian, as an as an analyst of, of, of Kenyan politics. Um, but you know, you know, um, Chris Musila has written about this, where when it comes to discussion of public affairs and politics in the country, it becomes a very masculine um, 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 space, um, and and that I think also should be read as part of as part of the problem in terms of in terms of all the things we're discussing today. You know. Um, um, and I think that, um, yes, of course, younger generations have attempted to make contributions, intellectual contributions to serious political questions in the country before, you know, um, um, thinking about, you know, ridiculous, for example, um, uh, the comedy group, but also the intellectuals around Kwani. And I think that that seems to, to have sort of, um, um, are faded, and I think, and I think there needs to be a re-energizing of 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 those of 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 those voices if they're already there, but also of sort of um, producing these voices uh, if possible, um, uh, where we have more more, especially young Kenyans, um, um, thinking about the political affairs of the country in very in very um, intellectually engaging ways, but also in very innovative and creative ways as well. Um, um, I think for me, if that happens, then then we are looking towards towards a good political future for for, for Kenya. Thank you, Daktari. Um, Dr. Ngala Chome is, uh, as you've heard, he's a historian. He's an intellectual. He was one of the people who spoke to us on the panel on youth and the politics of inclusivity. Gala, I look so much forward to continuing to being with you in this space. Thank you very much for coming. And my brother, Oyunga, Oyunga has been um, chief curator of the elephant. He continues, as I said, to be part of the herd. Oyunga, what is your last word? Well, <clears throat> I, think, I think it's pretty much been said. Uh, I'll probably pick up a little bit on, on what Ngala said towards the end about just centering the place of the artists and, and you know, the, we, we need to bring them back into the fold. We need to, and, and, and it's, not, it's, not, it's not a question of waiting for, say, government to, no, no, it's, it's us, the public, who have to start centering those people. And I mean, we 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 learned about Congolese music from from those within our homes. You know, we learned about Franco from those within our homes. So we've got to we've got to start centering this this voices that exist amongst us. They for now they are they are on the fringes. They're in places we call the underground, um, but that's where the truth lives. And we sort of have to we have to we have to basically do our part. The other thing. The other thing for me is that, um, and just to pick up from, I guess, the article that, that ins inspired this conversation from Antoinette Kamkindi, and, and she, or the story of Cry the Beloved by Alan Payton, there's a line, and she quotes it in an article as well, is that the, the tragedy is not that things are, are broken, the tragedy is that things are not been mended again. And, and I think for me, that's a really important, at least take home point for me, that it's, it's that, Almost as a generation, as as people of this time and space, as Kenyans of or in this space, we've got to do our bit. You know, we we just have to put in the work and and put in the work in a little in in a little small way as much as possible. We need to get out of the idea of. I know we live in a celebrity culture in a social media culture. Was the tendency of grandiose, you know, 
but I think it's an importance to just go back into, you know, simple, simple work, you know, the, 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 the collectives that used to come together to collect money in terms of Harambe to send people abroad, you know, <clears throat> we need to do that simple work, we need to do that simple work, we need to do it consistently, and we need to keep doing the work. You know, and yes, the outcomes are great to be nice to invest in the outcomes, but what's important is actually the work. And, and if we continue to do the work, we continue to be inspired by people like Wandia for the kind of work they're doing in the public space. And if more and more people can do that, I think we'll be in a really good place. You know, that would be my, my bit. Yeah. yeah. Shukran Sana. Um, Oyungapala is um, a journalist, he's a cultural critic. And my favorite is my fellow storyteller. Thank you so much, Oyunga. Um, I want to thank, we want to very much thank Hendrik Ball Foundation, who are the partners to the elephant. We thank the elephant for the privilege of having us for this conversation. We are the elephant and our role is to help you think, to think together with you because we want to speak truth to power. And at the end of the day, power lies with the people. Kazi Kwenu.